coach recently and uh, with Michael Simarski from uh, Providence. He's brilliant, by the in way. In Hawaii. And he is an, a wonderfully odd human. <laughs> but he's, he's great. He's brilliant. He's like you, but he's, he's like you. Yeah, he's, he is kind of like me. It's like... I was totally socially awkward, and uh, <laughs> like I said, and, just like no, <laughs> and a really odd sense of humor. Uh, way smarter than me, but yeah, but you just watch him, and it, he envisions the food, and then he puts it on the plate, and you're like, damn. I'm Hugh Atchison, and this is Hugh Atchison's Stirs the Pot. That voice at the beginning there. Bon Appetit editor-at-large Andrew Knowlton. That's who that was. He likes calling me odd. He has a point. He's a little odd himself. And then there's uh, Cafe Blue chef Aaron Bluedorn. And that's the guy laughing. We taped this episode at the end of a beautiful dinner at Cafe Blue on the Upper East Side of Manhattan to talk about Netflix's The Final Table, which Andrew Knowlton hosts. And Aaron Bluedorn does very well as a contestant for himself. I won't spoil the ending. If you've been listening to Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot, please rate it, write a review on your podcast app. If you're listening to the show on the Himalaya app, which I highly recommend, well, you can leave comments or questions on each episode. I will read your comments and maybe mention you in a future episode. If you have not been listening to Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot, I would love you to start listening to this, maybe with this episode. It's a good place to start. And then you can go back and listen to the previous episodes of Tom Colicchio, Carla Hall, and John Glazer, a wonderful actor and comedian. Come back next Tuesday for my conversation with the amazing whirlwind of energy that is Alex Stupak, the chef, who I think is one of the most brilliant thinkers of the 21st century in a lot of ways, and a guy who makes a, well, very above-average taco. So on this week's conversation, Andrew Knowlton and Aaron Bludorn get Netflix. Hello, people. I am sitting with two gentlemen right now at Cafe Baloo in New York City. Andrew Knowlton, the, uh, I don't know, what's your new title of Bon Appetit? Editor at large. Editor at large. Yes, he sir. is the large editor at uh, <laughs> Bon Appetit. He now lives in Austin, Texas. And also with me is Aaron Bludorn, who is the executive chef of Cafe Baloo, one of Denny Baloo's restaurants. A fine, fine pedigreed place this is. How's the work? That's great. It's That's okay. Great. Yeah. Treating you okay? Yeah. Do I need to report anything? Most days. I can. Easy, I, easy. I know some people. <laughs> we can call some things in. You know, Hugh, I, I feel for Aaron because he has, you know, you know this, huge shoes to fill at this place. <laughs> we were talking about it earlier. Like, who's worked at this place? Uh, let's Carmelini, see. Andrew, Andrew Carmelini, Carmelini, Gavin Kaysen. Who was after Gavin? Immediately to you? Immediately to me. Well, yeah. before, before Gavin was Bertrand Chamel. Okay, and Bertrand went where? He's down in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. My question for you is, none of them have been on a Netflix show, have they? No, No, none of them have. And Bertrand, is he implicated in any D.C. scandals? No, no. Okay, Okay. I think Carmelini's clean. Gavin, he's clean as a whistle. No, he's in Minneapolis. He's Uh, fine. (laughs) Midwestern sensibilities, that place. It's a good food city, though. It's funny. Minneapolis is like amazing food, right? International food. Yeah, but it's not just Gavin. It's like all sorts of places there that are really good. That's another topic. We'll talk about that. Are we going to talk about that later? Yeah, I'll talk about Minneapolis. We're going to talk about all sorts of things. (laughs) But first, got to get this uh, big 
elephant out of the room, which is uh, these two dudes were uh, on a new show on Netflix called The Final Table, uh, which is yet another cooking show. Mm. Uh, You sound so positive, Hugh. Thank you. Well, no, I'm I'm setting it up, and then I was going to suddenly arc it up to the... To the heavens. Well, one day you'll be really on it. One day you'll amazing. be on a, a cooking show. Um, you, if you, I am on a cooking show right now called Canadian Iron Chef or Iron Chef Can. I don't know what it's called. But wait, where's yeah. that? Sorry, where's Iron that? Chef Canada? Canada, where's yeah, that? It's, um, it's a country directly north of us. North. Yeah, it's, okay. It's very pretty. <laughs> oh, that's Montreal. Uh, Montreal's very, there. That's the no, only place no, I know that's there. Quebec. That is part of Canada. Oh, uh, okay. It's a very large nation. Good people. <laughs> Good, very calm, collected. <laughs> but no, back to uh, your show. So um, Netflix did a very, very ambitious show and attracted perhaps a roster of the best chefs in the world. How did that happen? That's very nice of you to say. Aaron. But, yeah, but no, nobody is extremely you know, humbling. <laughs> I mean, no show as a competitive cooking show has ever attracted this caliber of people, I mean, from Claire Smith to Enrique Oliveira to uh, to you, Aaron, oh. to Grant Ackett. I mean, uh, I think if I can just, I think part of the reason that I was attracted to the project, the final table, was a Netflix and just how Netflix has become a, a verb almost, the way that Googled or. Do you, you still know, get the DVDs in the mail? Can I don't. You get the I, I, I was the surprised I even got the gig because I owe so much money to the old Netflix when they used to mail out. Did they like, look that I, up? I, found, <laughs> I, I found someone I was uh, <laughs> moving last. Because <laughs> I got a job with the public library and it all went to shit when they looked up my and I had like eight books that were way overdue. Never got the gig. But it's it's crazy. That this Net- is bigger for you. But it's crazy that Netflix That's went from this one. this this company that was mailing out DVDs to being. Like I said, a verb or like, oh, I'm going home to watch Netflix. Now, Andrew's 44, so he remembers when Netflix actually mailed out DVDs. Which well, was so does Aaron. Yeah. He's not oh, that yeah. old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, but I think the thing is, like, the for, for I can't speak for Aaron, but the thing that made it so cool for me was just the international reach of Netflix that it wasn't just the United States. It was... But why, well, why does Grant Ackett finally say yes to a show like Because it's Netflix. I think it's because, like, I no, want. I mean, why did you say yes, Aaron? Else. Well, I, I think I was attracted by He's me. You yeah, were attracted uh, by me no, being on the show. He said yes because uh, no, Grant wait. said yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Grant got a memo and was like, "It's okay for you guys to say yes now." I well, said actually, yes. we didn't know who the who the judges were going to be when for the uh, for the, the I guess the elimination round or whatever we're calling it. But it, and, and actually, that was one of the things all of the contestants would do is we'd huddle around and try to guess who was in, who was coming into town, look at our Instagrams, and, oh, oh this chef's uh, flying in, landing right now. You think they're going to be on the show? You think they're right. going to be the judge? That was the big thing. We were always trying to get Andrew to say something, but he kept his lips real sealed. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. is like They, they, they didn't tell the contestants, uh, the 24 contestants, pretty much anything, really. They told us it was going to be not your normal cooking show. They told now, us Grant that, was a competitor, though, with his team, not a judge. Or he, was like a judge. Ju- he was a judge. He was a judge. Okay, let's go back to this team's idea of this. We're, how, did that, how did that work? Um, well, initially, I was a little, I was a little uh, sketched about it. Because when they casted us, they asked us to pick our teammate. And someone that you had cooked with before was at the same uh, level as you were at this point in their careers. And someone you felt like you had chemistry with. So they would act, ask us to pick three chefs. And 
it was always fun to kind of go through your Rolodex of people that we've cooked with, you know, maybe when we were line cooks together at another restaurant or something. And then, you know, hey, you know, I, I really enjoyed what you've been doing lately. I was approached by Netflix to do this show. Would you be interested in doing it with me? And I got a resounding no from a lot of people <laughs> just because they didn't want to be on a cooking so, show. So chef said yes. So while well, I had uh, a friend of mine, I mean, do, am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the one that I went the furthest with was this gentleman, Rick Lopez, and he's a chef in uh, Austin at La Condesa. Really, I mean, him and I cooked yeah. together here at Cafe Balloon years ago. He's I, I really admire his style and what he does, especially with uh, modern Mexican cuisine. But so anyway, I all the way up to the point where I think it was two weeks before, and they were like, listen, you're coming. Make sure you're planning on it. And uh, then they told us no the next day. So I, I'd written it off. I Okay, well, it's uh, November, busy season at Cafe Balloon. We're just going to get back into it. And then a week later, so this is a week before the show was set to you know, start, uh, they said, hey, we had someone get sick and drop out or whatever. Uh, would you want to come out here? Wait, the only reason you got on the show is because somebody got sick? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. I know. Shit. So they asked, would you be okay with, uh, with being with a partner that you've never met? And had know nothing about. I said, well, I mean, depends. And they're like, well, no, he's, he's great. He's great. He's from Scotland. Okay. Another thing I don't know anything about. <laughs> and, You're good at golfing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I was, I was open to it. And we, we talked on the phone. Very few words were exchanged. And like, okay, well, we'll meet up when we're in LA. I'm going to do this. I go out there. And uh, then I met Graham, my partner, who is, uh, he is he's a, an incredible human being, but a man of few words or very many all once. And I immediately was curious as to how we're going to work together because I've never seen this guy cook. I've never seen um, the food that he does. Or and his restaurant's in Scotland? Yes, it's in Scotland. He was the youngest chef to earn a Michelin star. Right. And he earned one Michelin star at the age of 26. He was young. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Super young. And, you know, kind of pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and he's really uh, – so anyway, so you we got – You can't understand a word he says either. Like he's got – he speaks <laughs> Does English. Does he sound like the Scottish guy in The Simpsons? Kind yeah, of. a little bit. Like yeah, Greens, a little bit. Greenskeeper Willie. Right? I mean, did, you, did you understand what he said half the time? Sometimes, I but feel I, like you were just nodding at him most of the time, being like, "Yes, yes." yes. Well, I wanted him to stop talking so we could start cooking. <laughs> but, but, but that's, but that, that's just always funny to me as chefs. Is there an international language of working in a kitchen? Mm. Okay, so this is what I was getting to. So we, you know, we okay, we're we're getting to know each other. First day, second day, you know, we go to the to the lot to do a trial run to see if we could cook on camera because we still hadn't made the show yet. There were still, I think. Six other teams that were, you know, we're six teams over the 12 that we're going to start, right? And, you know, uh, they they did it really quickly, too. They just had us walk into a room. We saw all of our stations, and they said, you have an hour to cook a dish with chicken, go. And from that moment, we communicated better in that hour than we had in the last 36, you know, getting to know mm. each other. We got to know each other better over a stove Talking about the dish, talking about, you know, I, I understood what he was saying. <laughs> Fine, you, you guys started speaking Esperanto and everything was fun? Yeah, exactly. Well, international language. <laughs> but, but that's one of the interesting things that, <clears throat> at least not having to do anything and standing back and watching these all these uh, guys and gals cook, was that to watch them, this choreography of like people who didn't know each other and how they 
but they all spoke the same language, no matter yeah. where they were from. Mm-hmm. And no, like, but did anyone speak completely different languages that they could not understand? I mean, in in actual verbal languages. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no, okay. there. I mean, there was there was Shen and and, and, Ron, and Ron, yeah, Ron, was, Ronald, uh, who Shen is a two star, yeah, from Atlanta, and then and Shen from Japan, who has two Michelin stars, spoke very little English, but also. More than speaking any language, wasn't had not been exposed to a lot of the countries that we were traveling to because in the in the series we we go to nine different countries virtually and we cook the the national dishes and so that was what was interesting. You were asking chefs like, could they connect on a certain level? It was amazing to see. No, wait, wait, wait! You go to nine different countries virtually. Well, we're not. Yeah. We're, we don't go to those actual countries, but we we are going to those countries by inviting ambassador, culinary ambassadors from those countries. We have a whole pantry that is full of those. So, indigenous. if I go to the Hungarian street fair, have I been to Hungary? Is that like the virtual experience you're talking about? Well, you're getting closer than but watching, in New York. Yeah. Yeah, but you're you you are. You're, I just want to know the virtual. We, we are not going are there to VR that country. <laughs> They're not VR goggles. Is there Sorry, a David, Dora not. the Explorer thing? Oh, Dora the Explorer, nice reference. You have kids, I can tell. I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think the interesting thing is in the United States, we take for granted what we Lots are. Lots of things. Well, <laughs> amongst other things, but we are knowing where Canada is is one of them. But no, we are we are very we know all kinds of different cuisines because of our amazing immigrant population that makes America been America to assimilate and melt into our pot of goodness. But you 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 talk to some of these chefs from different places of the world, and that was like people had never had a taco before. People never had sushi, or if okay, they had, so it would have been thirty years in ago. In this virtual immersion into a different country, when you're visiting nine different countries, are you <clears throat> again? Uh, is then one of the things that they will make a taco? That will be one of the battles. Is that well the idea? for each country that we visit? And there's nine countries that that, that we visit. Mexico. There's ten episodes in this in this in the final stand. table. I'm, I'm helping you understand this. I know, I know, because I know you bring before. a lot of baggage to the table. Um, okay. So there's ten episodes. Nine of them go to various countries, and so for each of those countries, there's a national dish for that country. What do you think the dish of the United States would have been or is? Burger. See, that's what everybody said. It's not a burger. I'll tell you that. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Is a burger really from the United States originally? Well, what is from the United States? That's what makes it amazing. <laughs> uh, fried chicken. Pimento cheese. I don't know. Apple fried chicken. Apple pie. As American as. Yeah. You know. Hot dogs, but that's German. Yeah, that's a Frankfurter. Yeah. What about gumbo? No one, no one's a. Uh, yeah, but that's probably the French Canadian. I think Canadian people in Nova <laughs> That's Scotia true, but it, you know, like it created in. I mean, Lobster anyway, you'll have to tune in to watch. Religious people I, know, I know you don't watch TV anymore, uh, Hugh, but you have to watch. And I, I do know. watch TV. I found myself watching really a lot of crappy TV. Uh, <laughs> but now I will revert to the quality of Netflix and watch The Final Table. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. 
While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at Atchison, A-C-H-E-S-O-N, dot Robinhood, dot com. And Andrew knows a lot about this from living in New York for so long, but... I mean, I don't know. You could, you guys want to explain to me the economics of a New York restaurant? I don't get it with the rents you guys pay. I don't get it with what you have to pay. Have for you seen the prices? Yeah, have you New seen York City? <laughs> yeah, I think I just paid like thirty-two dollars for an entree. Or an thirty-two? Appetizer. It was probably you know, double that. Maybe you're not charging thirty-two for any entree, are you? Appetizer. Are we charging them? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Danielle, this one's on you. Um, geez, let's get the wine list. Um, <laughs> Where's Danielle? <laughs> Chef, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you okayed this. Um, but, uh, you know, the economics of restaurants in everywhere else in the world are so different from what they are here. And then in a thoroughly minimized unemployment number that we have now, it's like, how do you find people? Like, how are you keeping people? Well, it's really tough. I mean, I use... I do everything I can to robots. Tend, yeah, right. I wish <laughs> soon. Yeah. Have you heard of Spice? Yes. <laughs> um, no. Uh, you know what I do? I do a lot of. I mean, it's all about staff retention. Number one, making sure you're you're treating teaching, people right. Yeah, making yeah. sure you treat them uh, fairly and that they are eager to come back every day and learn. Um, also, I do a lot of things. Uh, with uh, the younger generations, uh, I'm really heavily involved in CCAP. I'm on the board there. That's careers through culinary uh, arts programs, and it it goes in and gets gets kids interested when they're in high school, and creates a mentorship program all the way through um, in New York City. In New York City, and they're in uh, Arizona, uh, out of uh, Scottsdale. They're in uh, where else am I missing? L.A. and Chicago. It, no, not Chicago. It's about to be in Detroit. But it's okay. it's a you know it's a great program and it deals a lot with um, creating mentorships and connections with these young students and young chefs that are going to be the ones that are going to be running you know, in your kitchen. I mean, listen, I've had I've had eighteen year olds with more heart than the you know, the twenty six year old line cooks that yeah. we get. Uh, yeah, so whether you want a twenty six year old line cook who's cooked in ten different restaurants in New York for three months at a time. <laughs> But, but or I you think, want a young kid who really understands and has a vibe to what they really want to do for the future. I, I think one of the things that people don't necessarily talk about when we're talking about the restaurant industry and the struggles that they go through is that that for too long, restaurants were a place that 
it wasn't the first choice for many people. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to go into it because I don't have another option or whatever. And now that the restaurant industry is a cultural and like it's it, it's something that matters throughout the world, that it's a viable professional choice for people. But the systems that have been in place in restaurants aren't haven't been set up that way to, for you to have HR or health benefits and all this stuff. So to me. I hear chefs all the time complain about, I can't hire people. They're, people go and come and go. And that's more about the infrastructure of a restaurant and getting, get it to be a viable choice for people, just like a law firm is or an advertising firm yeah, or any of that stuff. Yeah, but a law firm charges $800 an hour. Rest, for their but, but rest, well, first of all, in America, we charge way too, too le- like not enough for our food. Like America, the, the food is so cheap. And I just think like it's not it's not you can't point at one thing with the American restaurant industry. There's millions of things that we can all do to make it a better work environment, to make all the stuff, you know, health and all that. Mm-hmm. And I just think like if if we America's the greatest place to eat out. I really believe that. Like if you go to any place around the world, like you can have French food, you can have Thai food, but the one place you can go to is like you go to San Gabriel Valley in California, you can eat the world in that place. It truly is a miraculous country to eat in, despite all our differences now. But we have to make it feasible for for immigrants, for for people go to the CIA, for anybody to open a restaurant, that local laws or any of that stuff. And it starts with government. And I truly believe that. It's not I don't want to hear any more about chefs complaining like, oh, I can't hire a chef or all that. It's not it's not their fault. It's just we have to make the restaurant industry a better place to work that you don't have to work seven days a week for 15 hours a day. Unless you love it. But, but how is the government <laughs> going to... How, how right. is the government well, going if, if, to... Look, I, I just know that like every city that I... I mean, I'm not a libertarian. No, no, but, but every city to, I'm attracted to, whether it's Charleston or Austin or New Orleans, food is what makes those cities tick now. It's not the Starbucks on every corner of every cor- uh, of every street. It's not whatever chain you want. Food is the reason that people travel now. And cities need to realize that. And the harder they make it for restaurants or young people to succeed in the restaurant industry, the way they do for tech companies, if government made it, made it as easy for tech indus- uh, for restaurants as they do tech industries, you'd have a restaurant in every corner and they'd be succeeding. Well, let's atomize the idea of Silicon Valley. Everybody complains as to why Silicon Valley doesn't have a lot of great restaurants within it. Outside of the city center of San Francisco, you go south and you're around Milbrae and then south of there. The rents there, I mean, I remember staying in a Motel 6 there because I was speaking at Google. I was literally staying in a Motel 6. It's not below me. That's cool. Totally Go- cool. Google pit you up in a Motel 6? No, some agency did. Oh. But <laughs> <laughs> I remember looking at the bill. The Motel 6 was $400 a night. What? And it was because it was a it's Silicon Valley. It's okay. like you can charge whatever you want. But do people eat out there? At, at- yeah, they do, but they can't find people to work there because you can't live within an hour and 15 minutes of Silicon Valley in a place that's affordable. So you live... You know, 45 minutes away with eight of your coworkers in bunk beds. And it's just, it, it just becomes a de facto, um, 
just a really exploitive situation yeah. in really high rent areas. And I worry that New York's going that way. I don't think we're there yet. We've gotten rid of a lot of bad things that were endemic to New York restaurants in the past, like shift pay and things like that, which were really exploitive in, in their core. I mean, yeah. I remember people working for very famous restaurateurs, and it's like this is 12, 14 years ago, and their shift pay was $300 a week, and they were working 80 hours a week. I mean, you do the math on that. It's like minimum wage, barely. Right. But the, but these the, were like junior sous chef type of roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the magazine industry, something that I come from, that's that's changing. You know, we used to depend on a lot of interns for stuff. Yeah, but I've like, been to your offices. We don't. They're <laughs> fancy as fuck. Dude, you're sitting in a pr- the private dining room of Cafe Baloo sipping on a Pinot Noir from Burgundy. This is not a Pinot Noir from Burgundy. This is a Chateauneuf de Pop. I beg your pardon. It's <laughs> a melange of grapes. Splash of more veg. Sure. Maybe a little sand. But you you just made my point, the fact that you just pointed out what was in your you know, Chateauneuf de Pop. Not to defend the fact that we've uh, come up, but in this, in this industry, I understand that, you know, but how I've always looked at it myself is it's a finishing school. You know, you're, you're getting your PhD. What's a finishing school? Uh, working, yeah, working at these restaurants, yeah. working for very low pay, and it's something. It's a it's a rite of passage that we've all had to been all had to go through. And you figure out, you know, I mean, I used to live way out in Bed Stuy or even further out past Bushwick when I when I first started as a cook. And you know, but the thing is, you're in the same boat with all the other cooks that are doing that. And I, I know, I'm not saying it's right. I, I, no, I'm not and saying it's right. And they, hey, we're all in the same boat. And we, I went through it too. I know, and I know. And I'm, but what's intriguing to me is if that is the, the, the sort of finishing school and the school of hard knocks to getting to that next level, unfortunately, that next level of what you've attained is rare to attain. And True. what I've attained. It's like making the is, NBA. Or yeah, so, yeah. you know, and for all of us who have done that, and thank God we have, and I'm very proud of all the work we've done, and myself and yourself, but there are many more that we worked with. That right never did. That's true. That's true. But you know what? I decided that I wanted to work for those who were going to push me towards that next level. Right. And that's why I am where I am today. It's because of those the uh, chefs that I've worked for over the past years. I, you know, for Gavin Kaysen, you know, Daniel Balud, uh, Douglas Keene, all each of these chefs. They knew that I wasn't were you getting with Cyrus with Douglas. I was. I was. Dougie. I was. First three years. Uh, <laughs> For all, I mean, for as much as we didn't make working at those restaurants, we made that much more with uh, all the experience we gained. And they knew that we they weren't able to pay us as much. And I think we were on the same page with, well, we just believed in what we were doing at the time. And I know you probably have the same feeling of that. And we showed our dedication. We got it back in tenfold because having those chefs mentor us and bring us through. Now, I'm not saying that we... That the restaurant industry doesn't need a huge makeover with all these, with all these issues, it does, you know. And we need to get better, and we need to be at the point, you know. But, but I what, think Andrew's right. A lot of the real fix is that the American market needs to realize they've gotten fine dining food on a budget price point for have. years. They have. The only thing that I think that Americans are really comfortable paying extraordinarily top dollar for is absurdly good sushi. <laughs> which I've never seen anybody wince at the price of. Yeah, but, why, but that's a very finite. And that's I mean, a very yeah, finite yeah, small yeah, market. Yeah. 
But I, I, I do think that, you know, part of our jobs as three white guys sitting at a table is Oh god, yeah. Sorry, but well, is there there's an No, no, but 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 is 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 you should is, turn off your podcast and not listen no, to No, no, I'm just saying it's like opening is is opening is opening the table to all kinds of people, you know, and you mentioned a bunch of chefs who I admire. Those are one kind of chef. And like mm-hmm. you went, you know, and I just think like that is an important thing and I'll speak for me only as a journalist is I have not done my due diligence in the past five years until recently going out and like making a point of doing my homework and going out and asking certain people to do certain stories or recognizing certain places. And and I'm part of the issue, you know, in all that. And I think that's an important thing to realize. And the the restaurants that I love the most are... You know, I don't go to fancy restaurants every night. I go to places that immigrants have opened, or it's a taco place, or it's a dim sum place. And I think that's an invo- very important thing to realize when we write about stuff or who we cover and who that is. And and I think it's an important important thing, regardless of where on the gradient pattern of high end or low end that it's at. I think it's important to invest. Um, your hard-earned dining dollars on going to places with authenticity and zeal and palpable excitement of what those people are doing. Right. Whether it's at the super high end, there are plenty of people at the super high end who heart, who their hearts are just not into it, and they're just they're they're just going through the motions, the walk yeah. and going through yeah. the motions. Yeah. And there are others up there who you're like, this person is just amazingly like superhuman in what they're doing and it's right. so interesting right. but the, those people all the way down the spectrum and those are the places we need to seek out but right. that's your job Andrew is your that's my job but I also think when I first moved to New York City like I had no money and I was going to Lutece and I was going to Le Cote Basque and I was going to Oriole I was going to like these French restaurants that define fine dining and so dining and dashing like that how many times <laughs> did you get arrested I never got arrested because I'm from the south and we know how to do things. Wiley and Pull fast. fast yeah. <laughs> Just tuck the kidneys under so the mashed potatoes. What year is this going to Lutes? This is in the very 90, last few years. 99, Andre's still say. there? I mean, at that point in time? I don't know. I've, it, is Danielle at Danielle? I don't know. <laughs> no, but I always wonder about <laughs> yeah, Danielle Lutes. <laughs> uh, you know, Lutes was such a amazing restaurant. He was there. I went there a few times, and he was there a few times. That's so interesting. My point is, though, now, though, that like people... There's so much more diversity in the food, and like America has come down from its pedestal of just worshiping the the high end places, and like you can get great service at a neighborhood place, you can get great food, you can get great ingredients that once upon a time were only exclusive to the high end places, and I think that's what's amazing is engaging those kind of places. Don't get me wrong, I still love getting uh, putting on a suit and tie for my anniversary. And going to Danielle or going to La Bernadette in New York City or Providence in Los Angeles or wherever and eating those, that food. But just the like spectrum is amazing. I cooked recently in, uh, with Michael Sumeristi from uh, Providence. He's brilliant, by the way. In Hawaii. And he is an, a wonderfully odd human. <laughs> but he's, he's great. He's brilliant. He's like you, <laughs> but he's, he's like you. Yeah, he's, he is kind of like me. It's like... 
was totally socially awkward. And uh, <laughs> like I said, and, just like no. <laughs> and a really odd sense of humor. Uh, way smarter than me, but yeah. But you just watch him, and it, he envisions the food, and then he puts it on the plate, and you're like, damn. He's he's, a, he's, he's one of those so chefs. Smart. He's brilliant. I think he's a he is one of the most underestimated. I think brilliant chefs in the United States. I think it's like idiot savant stuff. It is. It's like Jeremy Fox Michael, too. If you're I listening would put it in that category. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Crazy. The, Jeremy Fox is in the exact same category. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think one day when I'm on my deathbed, I'm gonna look back on meals that I had and be like, "Shit, I totally like missed. That. I missed that. I missed that. I know. I, and I, he mean, was I like, eat a rustic candy, and I'm like, yeah. dude, this is so good." But it's even better than I know it is. Yeah, and, and you don't know that. Thing. It's almost like listening to music. But then he comes music. over the table, and you're like, Lenny, don't pet the rabbit so hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I, I mean, I, I, and I think about that with music. I think about that get with that books. Joke, but that's good. I, think I get Lenny. Good. I get no. Okay, good. <laughs> I, he, he crushed. He crushes the rabbit. Okay, gets, wait. Let's go back to what <laughs> I ate tonight. You ate, yes, I, I ate tonight. Uh, I had the sturgeon, which was. Beautiful, but that caviar was so good on what top. What kind of caviar was it, Aaron? That was a that was paddlefish caviar that from Oklahoma. No, no, no. It no. was it was local, not local, but yeah. I don't think it was Oklahoma. I think it's probably mm-hmm. uh, Hudson River. No, like Missouri, Hudson probably. River. Yeah. Sturgeon. <laughs> Aaron spending <laughs> his mornings going it's carp. Yeah. It's carp row. Which the sometimes it's carp, con. sometimes it's bodies. If it's black, it's, it's good. It's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. No, no, no. no. What's in here? This was a nice. Uh, it's a nice paddlefish caviar that we get. And yeah. then the little uh, the fried potato. Yep, yep. They yeah. were great. Beautiful. Beautiful melon ball shapes of uh, beautiful fried potatoes, uh, and then what was uh, there was avocado over the top of that. Avocado, orange, and, and hearts orange palm. hearts yeah. palm. We take the we take the sturgeon, uh, all the end pieces, and we chop them up and put them back in those potatoes, and then okay, yeah. that so that's why great. you get a little. But it was really finely mousseline in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was great. And then I had the uh, the old classic. Uh, that Danielle was probably doing back in the day. I had the uh, bass, the impopiate, impopiate. That's yeah. the one. That's the one dish. We the didn't wrapped change. in wrapped yeah. in potato and slowly cooked. So I mean, this was the uh, the quintessential dish of uh, uh, what was of uh, Danielle, or, and actually you brought it no, back it to Le Cirque. It was uh, Well, so mm. that that came back from him going to Pablo Cous and having the rouge with a, a potato. Uh, yeah, the potato mousseline along the side, and there's a small trace of leeks uh, on the inner ring, and then the exterior is this uh, barouge emulsion, very buttery barouge, and then this perfectly cooked piece of, of bass wrapped in potato, which is such a quintessentially classic dish. And as many restaurants coming back on the scene right now or coming newly into the New York scene, like Frenchette, which I ate up for lunch the other day, which was exquisite. Mm-hmm. Very and good. Le Cuckoo, Le Cuckoo and places like yeah. this yeah. that are you know revolving around really well-executed French classics. This place has been doing it for years. <laughs> I mean, it's built on the French classics. I find that so refreshing, I have to say. Like, I love going back to... Technique and mm-hmm. because every cuisine has its technique. Oh God, I'm so thankful because I can't do all this modern weird shit, <laughs> but I know how to do this, so it's good. So yeah, get, going back to technique is just key these days, and so interesting to me is that we're welcoming that back into the food sphere. That we don't need to push the envelope of of palate, you know, beating up the palate so much with umami and yeah. chili and spice and all of this, which we all love. 
But still, we want to go back to this beautiful, purest idea of of food sometimes, and 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 regaling its delicacy. Yeah, I mean, for you yeah, go ahead. You know, talking about young cooks and what they get excited on and uh, excited about in our kitchen, I, I'd say that the techniques, the classic techniques, when when we pull out those, uh, you know, salmon kubliak, or even when we do the striped bass papillette, which we do every day, when when they get to learn that, that's a technique that they're going to have for the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. Or you and, do a turina <laughs> and crout, and you watch like Momofoko Co doing. Yeah. Oh, that's Sean Gray. Right now. That's I know. Sean, he, he's, yeah. he, him, and I, him and I trade back and forth. We get real uh, I mean, geeky about that kind of stuff. But, all I, but, I think, but all the Joe Beef guys in Montreal are doing on Crute and all these classics again. I just, I just think it's, it's with anything. It's like, again, with music or cocktails. Like We all went through this cocktail phase where we wanted 20 ingredients in our cocktails, and now we just want, speaking for myself, like a most beautiful highball. Or like music, yeah. I like... I like all kinds of crazy, you know, 30-piece bands, but I also like just like listening to De La Soul or Bruce Springsteen play like no, really there, simple music. There is a point that you can listen to a lot of modern stuff and then go back to playing Sympathy for the Devil on vinyl and realize that this is perhaps This is as good as it gets. And I think time. the food is the same way when you make when you make like a leek dish out of Paul Bocuse or something, and you realize, wow, this guy took three ingredients and made it the most amazing thing I've ever. Yeah, put but in that, my mouth. but that's the difference between classic technique and utter simplicity in the amount of ingredients and not over fussing things and making the perfect vichyssoise, yes. which is literally four ingredients, right. and if it's properly executed, is an amazingly ethereal thing. And when it's executed 95% of the time, it's kind of like, this is leek and potato soup. Right. And you don't understand the right. nuance of the sweetness inherent in the leeks and the sweetness inherent in really good cream boosting up to this, the proper degree of gluten in the potatoes and coming up to something that's not cloying and not elastic at all, but is just beautiful. Well, well you said one thing right there that's very key is good leeks, good very leaks. good leeks, very good cream. America doesn't really understand good leeks. Yeah, it, we don't understand very good a lot of produce. Uh, you know, I feel like there are way too many commodity items that we use here, and when you're going to those three-star restaurants in, in France or you know, wherever, they are sourcing the most incredible white asparagus. Because they, they grew it. You because, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, there, there are things that we do very well here, like you're going to get great lobsters in America. You know, I'd say the Eastern Seaboard has the most incredible seafood, seafood is that amazing. I've ever seen. I mean, I'm from Seattle, and I thought we had great seafood there. But when you compare the amount of availability in Seattle to what you have out here, it's just, you know, and even and can you imagine? You know, I can't even imagine what you know if you're a chef in uh, France and you're looking at what your I don't you know what your seafood list is you know because I look at those wild turbo wild Dover sole stuff like that it's yeah. way outside of my price yeah. range you know yeah. I'm like who buys this <laughs> anyway but it's it's the it's the quality of ingredients but yes and it's just paying tribute to those ingredients it's something that uh, the masters have always done such a great job of but but that's what simple food should be I mean it's uh, to me it's like. The ingredients I want to pay tribute to these days in home cooking are like Rancho Gordo beans, which yeah. I find are just the amazing, most amazing. You've never had a bean until you've beans. had some of these, flavors. and they're dried beans, but they're yeah. new crops, so they cook up really quickly, and they're just plump and beautiful. And there are twenty different varietals of them, organically grown in Mexico or in very southern United States in the Southwest, 
And those type of things that we need to make sure they're getting in the proper hands. It's yeah. like the lineup of Anson Mills products that we all know are so good and so interesting from Ferro Verde to amazing artisanal grits that have been around for a long time. But, you know, there are all these different products. And then, but we need to cherish them, make sure they're charged the right amount to keep these people happy who are producing them and yeah. encourage them to talk to their neighbors about yeah. changing ways of production there. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting world, but it, I mean, are we going in the right direction in food in the states overall? Are people cooking more and eating better? That's a good question. I mean, I I think from a journalist point of view, I think the array of foods that are out there and the ingredients that you're able to get at kind of the price point. I think in the U.S., we've never been more more spoiled with stuff. I think more consumers need to take advantage of getting out of their shells and like not ordering an oaky Chardonnay or not assuming that they know what they know. And it's just like every town has a Viet, a, a little Saigon or every town has a Chinatown. Every time, every town has a little Thai town. Like you need to get out there and experience those foods. Like if you're only eating at one type of place, like you're not. So why don't people go there? I mean, often it's because they've got young kids and aren't interested. In Everyone has an excuse for everything, though. It's like you, you have an yeah, excuse take for not working out. Like Buford Highway. Oh no, I've got plenty of I know excuses for not working out. Do I look like I don't work out? No, you work out. No, I got those Canadian just good genetics. Cheekbones. <laughs> <laughs> my line, my line is, I can run when chased. Um, <laughs> like the meats. I gotta be honest. I, I'm a chef. It's what I do. But getting a box of various meats in the mail from Butcher Box just makes life easier. You put them in the freezer, pull them out when you need them. They're all beautifully cryovac packed. Good, nice sized portions for you. They're 100% grass-fed beef, free-range chicken, heritage breed pork. That's old world pork. Pork that actually tastes like pork like Duroc and Berkshire, different varietals like that. Free shipping anywhere in the 48 states. Soon, Alaska, Hawaii, soon. Unbelievable taste. There's a huge difference in taste between animals raised on pasture and those fed grain and concentrated animal feedlots. And ButcherBox knows how to pick those meats. It is a great thing if you live in a really distant area a rural community or a smaller town where you have trouble getting access to great things or it's great in a big city where you just want the convenience of something delivered to your door go to butcherbox.com backslash hue to get two free filet mignons some free bacon and twenty dollars off your first box there is no excuse not to cook well trust me i'm a chef podcast world is growing bigger and bigger every day and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future phases as well. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya's got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new features every day. 
Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot once you're there. I think that, you know, growing up and exposing my kids to better and better food was taking them out to a great pho place on Buford Highway. Absolutely. And exposing them to great sushi and just sitting around a counter and giggling over new food. Right. Not, Not, you know, forcefully, you know... It, forcing ideas or things on them. Um, the other thing with kids, and you know, I write a lot about how to teach kids to cook and home ec programs and things like that. Is kids will eat a lot of things when they're hungry, but if you feed them <laughs> a five thirty snack of muffins and granola bars and or, or yeah, uh, know, milkshake, fish, yeah, cheesy <laughs> ch- cheddar fish that I'm not yeah, even brand, like yeah, that. but then they're not going to eat at six fifteen. It's right. like you're nuts. It's, that's but I also work. think that one thing that's worked with my kids because my kids like they hate food and and they do it just because I'm in food. They they hate it and I like they do it just despite me. <laughs> just despite they do they do. It's like. I find like Cheetos bags under their beds. And, like, I'd like, rather find weed under their bed than Cheetos, <laughs> you know? Like, give me something I can. Do you want to sit back and Freud will take care of this and we can talk about this? Oh, I, I know all the reasons about it. But I will say the one thing that makes a difference is, is like when I do get them involved with cooking and like when we make Norwegian waffles or we make grits or. Does Norwegian I waffle make, have whale in it? What is that? That's offensive, dude. When I, don't I know. say what a Canucks, they have poutine for and seal. For seal? Seal. We no. like seal. Norwegian waffles are heart shaped because they love everybody. That's why. <laughs> you hate you hate monger. No, don't you feel bad now? I do. They give out the Nobel Peace Prize. Anyway, my point is before before geographical. <laughs> if 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 you get if you get kids involved, and you know this. In the cooking process, and and you have parents who cook, whether it's barbecue or you're making a, if you're at an LSU tailgating party and you're making gumbo, that, that stuff matters. Why do you have to bring the one team that beat UGA this year so far? Why do you have to bring that up? I didn't even know you were a UGA fan. You, you I live to, in Athens, Georgia. I don't know. You're Aaron, a Canadian. My, you're my, Canadian. No, I don't. No, yeah. My wife went to UGA. Oh, look really? at that. Yeah. That's awesome. Sick them. She's a big fan Sick of your restaurant. We're killing it down there. <laughs> So, okay. You can get by a bam on them? <laughs> yeah, we didn't last year. Um, <laughs> Another reason. So, the, Aaron, the final table uh, in competing in shows. <laughs> I'm, I'm going full circle on this. In competing in shows, had you competed like this before? Never. On TV? Never. No. How long did it take for you to feel relatively comfortable and able to do your job? Five minutes. Yeah. No, you don't even. Wait, is that a line, or are you just saying that? No, I'm I'm completely honest. Stone Cold Steve Austin over here. You know, I mean, it's you didn't look like you were that cool after the first five. Whoa, did I not? No, no. oh wow, (laughs) oh wow, Andrew. (laughs) I mean, probably. What? I'm never. Do you think I look cool when I'm in in the kitchen? I've never seen uh, you in the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're no, but I, but I, uh, no, I, I would just say for all the chefs, not not just you. (laughs) It was very, it was a new experience, and it was. There's a lot to be thrown at them at once. I don't think that anything we do, though, in our day-to-day lives are easy. I think that, you know, we're always conquering uh, 
problems and putting out fires. That's just what we do. That's I think like- I'm going to say this in every single podcast that I do. But yeah, I find I equate chefdom to frenetic triage. Yeah. It's fixing problems and creating lists in your head and leading a team to fix a problem every moment. Sometimes the problems are tiny and sometimes they're massive. Sometimes the dishwasher is broken and sometimes the human dishwasher is dead. Well, you got to fix everything in between. One thing a new chef always learns is that cooking is the easy part, right? No, (laughs) if I could cook all day, I'd just (laughs) be getting people to clean and organize and do inventory and run a business. Run a business. business But but the, the fascinating thing that, and I've been joking a lot tonight. I'm not joking now. Mad respect for both of y'all because I feel like having documented food for the past 25 years, that food is one of the only art forms where you immediately make something without kind of any editing to a large extent and throw it out there to an open designer. No, Spielberg is not making a film in that second and then throwing it out and letting you watch it and, and go, then go on Yelp and dissect it. Mm-hmm. Or musicians, like they have a producer, they're in a studio, they throw it out there, they've rehearsed it. Yes, you guys have rehearsed it to some extent, but every moment, like you're depending on somebody else. And like that's what's compelling, I think, about restaurants in general and the show that makes them so magical for me is just that like spontaneity and like the human existence of like, making a dish and trying to make somebody happy who brings so much to the table, no matter where they're from, based on seasoning or their family history or whatever, and pleasing them. Like, that is a, you guys are idiots for choosing this profession. No, we are. But you're also amazing human (laughs) beings for, like, because nothing makes me happy, and I think a lot of people, than sitting down to an amazing meal. You know, a lot of people equate food to theater and the idea of it. And And I totally agree, but not in the dorky way that they're thinking. The dorky it's, way that I just said no, it? No, in the dorky way of like, we don't take this as thespian art, right? right? Yeah. But what it is, is it is it is a performance each and every night that just like your local play, but is every night of the year for eternity, something different can go wrong mm-hmm. every single night. That's true. And when you have a something like a piece of music that has been performed and recorded and put on a reliable media to replay, it is the same. You can judge it for what it was, right, and what it has been. We don't have that base to go back to. We like, yeah. we have a judgment <laughs> form based on a gazillion critics now because of Yelp and places like that of a constantly changing performance. That's true, mm-hmm. and that's really difficult. But but also every like you bring up theater, which not every human being goes to the theater anymore. Maybe they did way back when, but everybody eats out and everybody is an expert now. And there's there's no other art yeah, form you go where to, people who think that. You could go to good and bad McDonald's. You can have a great meal at Waffle House, or you can have a horrible meal at Waffle House. I, All those I, menus I are that. ubiquitous or the same throughout the company. Right. right. You know, if food is Food's a difficult thing. Right. Well, then then this is a whole other podcast is expectation. I think expectation and anticipation is what determines the success or failure of a restaurant. The, I agree, my expectation but expectations is, are un. I expect the world when I come here. I yeah. expect the world. I'm coming for my anniversary. 
I go to the Waffle House, well, I'm wasted. Okay, I don't wait. care what it tastes like. Yes, <laughs> I, I agree. But the expectation is then reliant on a gazillion different parameters and possibilities on what's the mood of the client coming in? Right. Has something happened during the day to have them want to lash out in the next hour? They just broke up with Are their boyfriend. Are they coming in with their toddler, their spouse, and their mother-in-law? Right. Because everything's about to go to fucking hell, if that's true. Right. <laughs> Are they going to order a wine and expect it to be white that's a Pinot Gris right. or the, the, you know, the, a Pinot Noir, and mm. they thought it was going to be a white wine, and thus that makes them embarrassed? You know, there's so many... <laughs> Things we have to deal with. I did that recently, and I, I, I had. To, I know. I, I will actually honestly. Admit you ordered that I did. a wine. You thought it was going to be. It was on the magnums. It was on the magnums, and I. Because you I wasn't. I wasn't. Well, no, I, I was with people, and they were. Of course, I was given the menu, and you know, I. Uh, I was like, I was trying you to got go a through 40 my. Forty a wine. My what? A forty a wine. Forty a wine. <laughs> yeah, we were all going to get forties, and yeah, uh, uh, but anyway, no, I did it, but I sent it back. I, I and I, I was so happy that I did. I was embarrassed for a second, but then the whole table looked at me and said, "You know what? That was." I was like, "Wow, I'm pretty embarrassed that I ordered that." What and was they, it? They said it was Batard Montrachet, and I thought it okay. was. I thought it was a red, and I yeah. was going through in my. I was going through in my mind my Burgundy villages, and I'm like, uh, "Were you paying I, the tab on this? You ordered a mag of Batard? I was not." Rolling. I was, I was I, nice. <laughs> Rolling when somebody else is paying for it. That's that a mortgage a payment. A lot of people couldn't see that. That was a fist bump. Yeah, but, yeah, but it wasn't. It them. wasn't in New York though. That's, so it wasn't a mortgage payment because yeah. <laughs> it didn't have the. Anyway. It, was it in Athens, Georgia? It was not. Oh, okay. They don't have we, magnums we have in magnums Athens. Do you? The turn, yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah. Anyway, it was just one of those. It was one of those instances. Yes, I. But to go back to your point about was it. Easy to be on camera, yes. Was it easy to cook in those those challenges? No, they were they were challenging. You know, you, you had to cook uh, a bunch of dishes and you had an hour. How do you do? You know, of course, I had to learn how to use a pressure cooker. I don't use a pressure cooker in this kitchen. I got five hours, ten hours to make my stocks. I got mm. you know time what, though, to do you all the oh, Here you because go. Because they're great. I, I learned. I, <laughs> no, I do. You I can have. Get, yeah, you can get. Hugh, tell them like, about our tilt sponsor. Skillets. No. Tilt skillet. Yeah. Pressure cooker tilt skillets. <laughs> And you can make chicken stock that's clear as can be, that's so flavorful in like an hour. See, it's great. It's amazing. <laughs> I think, no, I'm not calling out a sponsor. No, no. Once, I, when, once <laughs> I get a no, once I got, no, once I get a pressure cooker, I've like struggled with. This kind of sounds like a food nerd thing, but I struggled with beans my whole life. Couldn't make a good pot like of beans. Farting? No. Not struggled, no, Bino, that works. Bino. That's, Bino. That's the next day. No, but like making good beans. And then like one of the people, uh, Carla Lala Music, who's the food director at Bon Appetit, is like, you need to get a pressure cooker. Change your life. It will. It will change your life. But it's like pasteurized food and fermented food or fermented foods. There are th certain things and words that terrify Americans and pressure cookers terrify Americans. Yeah, but it's Americans. not your grandmother's pressure cooker anymore. Now they're like, they're like, they're like Audis and BMWs. But like, we don't it, mean the Instapot, do we? I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about like good things where you Did just, you just diss the Instapot? No, I don't know anything about Instant Pots. I'm not This saying. podcast brought to you by Instapot. <laughs> Go to Instapot.com. I will speak on behalf of Instapot, but that that's gonna that's gonna but the advance money hasn't come in yeah, yet. Yeah, no, I understand no. completely. So, <laughs> okay, tell us about desserts, Aaron. We got a bunch of desserts hanging out here, so we're going to go through two of them. One is a milfui of. Milfui, yeah. So we have a, a lime uh, 
clump, and uh, there's a uh, a line clump. Oh, line okay, clump. It's, it's, uh, should change that. On pistachio, <laughs> pistachio, and then uh, chantilly on top. Chantilly, um, which is a fancy French term for whipped cream. Yeah, that's. Uh, then there's pistachio. There's a lime filling. Yeah. What's um. Yeah, let's move on to the next one. Okay, <laughs> no, that was, uh, Danielle, that one's a keeper. Wait, this um, is the one that had the cr- crazy uh, kind of twill type thing that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, so that's with the, the apple twill on top. And then okay, and this is a... Uh, so it's just a, a biscuit. Uh, and then with... What we got here? It is apple season right mm-hmm. now, isn't it? In some parts of the world. The northern hemisphere. Yeah. That was good. Do you like oh. it, Chef? It was very mm-hmm. nice. Do you like, like it? it? I like it. We got we got creme brulee over here too. Creme brulee. Let me ask you a question. Thing. Does chefs care? Like savory chefs, do they care about dessert? Yeah, yeah. of course. It's very important. Definitely. Do they? They should. Okay. Well, you have to. It's coming out of your kitchen. They should. A because it's the last thing that people leave yeah, with. There's, there shouldn't be such a distinction between. But there's savory. too many times there are in restaurants. Yeah, there are. Yeah. yeah, but and dessert should definitely not be thought of as an afterthought. Because I think whiskey's. De- I, I oh, like whiskey for dessert. I know you guys can't mess up whiskey as long as it comes in a bottle. They don't drink whiskey they can't, here. They can. They can <laughs> they drop it. Armagnac <laughs> and cognac. Well, I love that nougat. What is that? Mm, I like that yeah, log. You get that Which chocolate one? log yeah. there that what's was the, on What's that? this one right here? That's a janduja. Uh, Mousse. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good, Jandouille mousse. America, if you haven't had Jandouille mousse, try it out. Sean Velez, our pastry chef here at Cafe Balloud. Gotta, gotta give him a plug. Yep. Sean <laughs> Velez. Sean Velez, pastry chef at Cafe Balloud. Amazing stuff. Chef Aaron, thank you very much. Thank you. Andrew Knowlton. You guys are awesome. I'm honored to be Always happy presence. to talk. The final table. Go watch it on Netflix. Good enough for me. Yes, good. <laughs> You're giving the thumbs up. Okay, good. We're done. <laughs> this episode of Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot was taped on location at Cafe Baloo on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. You should go because Aaron's a really great chef and Danielle Baloo, the owner, is a patron saint of fine dining. Scott Porch produces the show for Himalaya Media with field recording by Brian Blum, sound design by Alex Ramsey, and editing by Brendan Lynch-Solomon and Mackenzie Mazel. Please follow Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on your podcast app and come back on Tuesdays for new episodes. You can find me on Twitter or the Instagram at Hugh Atchison. Thanks for listening. Eat well. Peace well.